0: Hey, I'd like to ask you, as always, to open your Bibles, and uh, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 4. There ought to be a Bible in Iraq near you, or you can find uh, the YouVersion Bible app online, and there's actually a Bible app event for this, as usual, that you can follow along on that will be helpful. Revelation is the last book in the Bible, chapter 4 is the chapter that's right after 3, if you can imagine that, okay? Revelation 4, that's where we're going to be throughout the service today, and I'll be reading it and pointing to the verses as we go. I want you to imagine, if you would, imagine your life as a tabletop, okay? Maybe like this tabletop right here on the platform. See this tabletop here? Um, this is my life. This is my tabletop and my life. And you can see here that the important stuff is close to me, like the Lay's potato chips. They're right here, yeah. And there's a phone, that's important, and coffee, right? Straight from Curbansville Alliance. And a stack of books, that's a little further away. There's some CDs over there. That ought to be closer to me. That's my gun cleaning kit. That should be over. I'll move that over here because that needs to be more reachable for me. There's no gun here, not to worry, okay? And and that's, what, that's a computer. I write sermons on a computer. We'll leave that over there for the time being. And and so imagine your life like that. Imagine your life as though it were a tabletop, okay? And you have all the things on it. Some of them are in hand's reach. Some of them are a little further away. Some of them you're gonna have to lean way over to get. And that's all. And And you say, here's my life. Here's my life. Now, someone might look at that tabletop that you have there and they might say, where's God? You know that person? Do you have that person in your life? Where's God? If you're ever a freshman at a Bible college, you'll have a dorm full of those people Where's God in your life? And, you know, so someone's going to say, well, God, he's the centerpiece. He's right there. He's right in the very middle. Those flowers, that centerpiece, that's God. He is the centerpiece of my table, the centerpiece of my life. But as those people preparing a meal about the centerpiece, and they will tell you this. They'll say, the centerpiece is decorative. Other than that, it serves no function. And you know it was Dr. John Sumbo who said that when men go to a dinner, they take the centerpiece off the table immediately. We do that every Saturday morning when we go to the Dutch Pantry, but the waitresses there hate us because we get rid of those centerpieces. They're in the way. Dr. Sumbo says this, he says, if you can't eat it, it doesn't belong on a table, right? That's what we do. And so thinking of God as your centerpiece, well, is he really the centerpiece? Is he superfluous? Is he decorative? Is he just there kind of like a good luck charm? Is he just one of the many things on a tabletop that is your life? I want to kind of change your perspective for a minute. Instead of imagining your life as your tabletop and the things on it as your tabletop, I want you to imagine the table itself as being God. So now God's not the centerpiece, he is the table, and everything that rests on top of it rests there because of his goodness and his grace. That he is not just the, the, the table, but he is the foundation upon which everything else rests. And all the things that you manage in your life, your family, your work, your hobbies, your church, your money, your home, your health, none of that would exist were it not for the table, that is, for the foundation of God himself. And I want to say to you, when you begin to see God as a table upon which everything else rests, it changes everything. Because suddenly, he's not just an extra thing in your life. He is a sustenance of your life. We're taking communion in a little bit, and when we take communion, we'll take bread and we'll take the cup, and those things represent his body and his blood, but don't forget, they also represent the very sustaining ability or sustaining factor in your life because you would starve, or die of thirst, were it not for such things. When you see God as being the foundation upon which everything else rests, it changes everything. And this is really just another way of reminding you that unless the foundation of your life is a triune God of Scripture, you will never know the security that comes from knowing you are loved by him. When something else is the foundation of your life, you're going to be distracted. You're going to be wondering, why don't I love God as I once loved him? Where has my first love gone? You're going to be puzzled as to why he's not helping you the way you anticipated he would help you, and you're going to struggle as you face much of the future. But when you realize that he is the table, the foundation, then things don't rattle you like they would have otherwise, and your heart is confident, and fear is not your master, and you walk in faith. And you manage the uncertainty that every person faces in life. And your life, your walk, is intentional. It's on purpose. We're in Revelation chapter 4. I happen to believe that the words of chapter 4 and of chapter 5 in the book of Revelation were placed there by God to remind us of this fact. God knew that the events in the following chapter of the book of Revelation would be unsettling. In fact, the events in the following chapters are going to be events that are earth-shaking, literally earth-shaking. So to prepare John and to prepare you and me for those chapters, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, he gives us chapters 4 and 5. And we're going to look at chapter 4 today. And before we read it, though, let's kind of get our bearings for a minute. As this section opens, God is actually going to be giving us some imagery, and the imagery is going to be, this is what the throne room of heaven looks like, and this is what heavenly worship looks like, and you will see that God is God, and he is worthy of our devotion, our unreserved commitment. Jesus tells John that he's going to tell him about the future. If your Bible is open to Revelation 4, look in verse 1, John says, as I looked up, After this I looked up, rather, and there was before me a door standing open in heaven, and a voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what what must take place after this. Now, that's an interesting line. He says, Come up here, I'm going to show you the future. But he doesn't get around to telling him about the future for another couple chapters. Because chapter 4 is God setting up the table, the foundation, on which everything else will rest. And that foundation is God. And when your life rests on God, you gain a deep sense of security and well-being that carries you through anything and everything, even the end of the age. So we're going to, over the course of this sermon, read the entire chapter. I want to jump to the end of it, though, and just read verses 9, 10, and 11. Can you follow along with me as I do that? Revelation 4, starting at verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory. Okay, now this is at the throne of God. And there's these four living creatures you're going to learn about shortly. Whenever these living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns. Some versions might say they cast their crowns. And by the way, that's where the Christian band Casting Crowns gets their name from. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. Now, as I read that, as I read that, I begin to realize something that I want all of us to realize that I need not fear for the triune God is over all. Let's uh, look at the chapter. Chapter. And let's try to pick up some imagery that happens to be in this chapter. And I want to say, this is Heaven's Throne Room. I want to talk to you about throne rooms for a minute. (laughs) I watch movies and I watch fantasy movies because my wife likes a lot of that. And, you know, I've seen throne rooms from here to there, you know, done by Hollywood. And I always feel like they have one of two problems. When I'm looking at a throne room in a movie, either it is so ornate and so gaudy and so glittery that it reminds me of a freshman prom. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? Or else, when I'm looking at the throne room, it is so powerful and mighty and masculine that it's just stone with dead animals hanging up as tapestry, and it's cold, and it's hard, and it's nasty, and it's ugh, stark, you know? The throne of God, this throne room, is neither of those. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, At once I was in a Spirit, And there before me was a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. And then he goes on to speak about the one who occupies the throne. And he speaks of him as being indescribable. Look at verse three. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow shone like an emerald encircled, that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Wow. What kind of imagery is that? What does it tell you? It tells me that it's very difficult to describe that one who is seated on that throne. I mean, no one would describe another person as, as a gem. or, Andy, you look just like a ruby to me today. What is that, right? The only way that that would happen probably is if John just has no words. He can't find the right words to describe this person. This person on the throne is indescribable, uncontainable. He placed the stars in the sky, and he knows them by name. He is amazing God. He's all-powerful. He's untamable and awestruck. You want to fall at your knees as you humbly proclaim, He is amazing God. I think that's John's point. The one seated on the throne is wonderful beyond description. And the point that John wants me to get is, I need not fear, for the triune God is over all. I'm sure that John was surprised when he looked around and he saw other thrones there in heaven. Other thrones that were there for people to be seated on who would receive honor and who would give honor. Thrones around the throne of God. Well, look, it's in verse 4. Surrounding the throne, there were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. Okay. Now, there are different theories about who these 24 elders are. I kind of lean toward the theory that these are the 12 sons of Israel and the 12 apostles, but who knows? Who knows? But here's what we do know. Number one, they are dressed in white, so they have been made holy. Second, we know they have crowns on their head, so they have been made part of a royal family. Third, we see that they are peripheral to the one who is in the center on the throne, and he is central to their existence. And in a moment, we're going to see that these 24 elders worship the one who is on the throne. So what does that imagery tell you? Well, lots of things. First, it tells me that God is not sitting in an empty castle all alone in heaven, you know. Uh, Second, it, it tells me that his throne is surrounded by those who love him and ones who he loves. It tells me that he honors those that he loves, and it tells me they honor him and he receives that honor. Most of all, what that imagery tells me is that I need not fear, for the triune God is over all. John goes on, and he talks a little bit about the atmosphere in heaven. What's going on in the background? What does it feel like to be there? Well, in the first part of verse 5, John tells you what it feels like. He says, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. It kind of reminds you of when Moses was getting the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Do you remember that? You hardly look old enough to have remembered that, but I've read about it. And there he is. He's there at Mount Sinai. And the scripture says, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear and stayed at a distance. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Sinai. This throne of God with lightning and thunder coming from it. It's an awesome kind of thing. Did you notice, though, that John doesn't say, I was afraid? He he doesn't jump or anything. Have you ever had lightning strike nearby? Wow, that'll make you jump right now. It could make you perform other biological functions as well. It can scare you to death, right? Yeah, yeah, that deafening sound of thunder. John is in the same room as that, and he doesn't indicate, and it scared me to death. Nor does he say that the elders are trembling. So what does he mean to communicate there? What is that imagery speaking of? Well, naturally, speaking about God's power, and he is awesome, and we use that awesome in very everyday ways. You know, I might look and say, uh, Tony, that was an awesome game the other night, you know, or something like that. And it wasn't really. It was just fun, right? Awesome means I am dumbstruck. It means I have no words, literally. It means I'm just like, Wow, I am a cabbage because I have nothing I can do to respond to what I just saw. That imagery tells us that God has that kind of power, that you're awestruck. Second, it tells us, and to borrow from C.S. Lewis, that the one on the throne is not a tame lion. Do you understand what I'm talking about there? He's not tame, but he's good. And that's the kind of God we have. A God who is... Not easily manipulated. You know, if God is tame, then you could train him. And he could do tricks like a circus lion could do. I don't think I would have any awe for a circus lion that would fetch a ball. You understand? But I have awe for the one who is on the throne. Moreover, if God is tame, then who is his master? Because that's the guy I want to talk to. <laughs> but there is no master above God. And he is manipulated by no one. He is not a puppy, he is a lion. And so, yeah, the lightning, the rumblings, the thunder, that scares me, but it also reassures me. It reassures me because it shows me that this good God that I worship is awesome, unparalleled in power, and I need not fear, for the triune God is over all. What about these blazing lamps? Take a, a look at the latter part of verse 5. It says, in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. What are those, John? John? These are the seven spirits of God. That didn't help me a bit, John. <laughs> the seven spirits of God. Seven. I'm not really into numbers a lot when it comes to prophecy kind of thing, but buddy, you can't ignore the number seven throughout Scripture. Seven days of creation, seven woes for the Pharisees, the seven I am's of Christ, and here we have the seven spirits of God. There are a lot of guesses as to what's going on here, What this meant here. One of them is that because seven has to do with completeness, seven has to do with nothing lacking, that what's being said here is the Holy Spirit is there in his fullness, in his completeness. I like that interpretation. I'm good with that. There's another idea that says, this is seven angelic beings here. After all, angels are ministering spirit. Eh, Okay, you can have that interpretation. I'm all right with that. Someone else says, nah, this is an allusion to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, the sevenfold aspect of ministry of the Holy Spirit. Wow, you dug hard to get that. That's fine. If you want to have that interpretation, I'm good with that too, because I'm just impressed you could come up with that, right? We really don't know what that's talking about exactly. But here's what we do know. Ready? Seven. Complete. Nothing. Lacking. Full. Full. There is nothing lacking about the one who is on the throne. There is nothing lacking in his presence. The fullness of the Godhead that scripture tells us dwelt in Christ in bodily form dwells there in the throne room of heaven. And those seven blazing torches reassure me because they show me that I need not fear for the triune God is over all. So what else is there, John? I'm glad you asked. There's a sea of glass that's there. A peaceful sea of glass. Because the one on the throne is the Prince of Peace. Oh, look at verse 6, the first part of it. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. If you've ever been boating, you know that that's a good thing. Because the lake is just smooth as glass. It's calm, it's not threatening, it's safe, it's peaceful. In ancient literature, the sea is often the representation of where threats and evil and trouble comes from. But in front of the throne of God, that sea is peaceful. It's like glass. I had a guy say to me one time, he read the book of Revelation. He said, I don't think I like the book of Revelation. I said, why not? I don't like how it ends. I said, it ends really good. We're in heaven with Jesus when it ends. That's not a bad thing. And he said, yeah, but there's no sea and I love to fish. (laughs) I said, you have to understand, buddy. (laughs) If you need to fish when you're in heaven, God's going to make you a puddle and you'll be okay. You can pull a shark out of it, right? You'll be all right. But what that is saying is there is nothing there that is threatening. And it's a sea of glass, it says. So it's, Pure. It's clear as crystal. There's no immorality, nothing bad, nothing evil, nothing dangerous coming from it. That imagery of the sea of glass reassures me that where God is present, chaos cannot reign and evil cannot flourish, and sin can never have the last word. It reminds me that I need not fear, for the triune God is over all. John talks about something really mysterious in the middle of verse 6. He talks about these four living creatures. Uh, and when I read about them, I realize, wow, this one on the throne is overall. Listen to the second part of verse 6. In the center above the throne, there were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, front and back. Okay, that tells me their awareness is all-encompassing. Okay, verse 7. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face of a man. The fourth like a flying eagle. Okay, they represent all creation. I'm okay with that. That's great. Verse 8. Each of the living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings, day and night. They never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Wow. Constant day and night, constant worship of the triune God. What does that tell you? It tells me I need not fear. The triune God is over all. And you gain an even stronger certainty of this when you look at the nature of the worship that's involved. And the first thing you notice is it is never ending. The worship goes on and on. Look at the latter part of verse eight. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, 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 but they do it better than that. (laughs) Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Wow, that's just like that hymn. Actually, that hymn is just like this verse. God is worshiped constantly in the past, in the present, and in the future. And because of that, I need not fear, because the triune God is over all. And the worship in the throne room, by the way, it is for the triune God, for the Father, for the Son, for the Holy Spirit. The latter part of verse 8 says, holy, holy, holy. You may say, Pastor Steve, I don't know where you're getting this triune stuff. Like God is a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's throughout the Bible. It's throughout Scripture. But here, as in Isaiah, this threefold use of the word holy is generally considered to be reflective of the triune nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I need not fear, for the triune God is over all. And this worship in the throne room is for the Lord God Almighty, the mighty God. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, all-powerful, omnipotent, unstoppable. I need not fear, for the triune God is over all. And it's orderly. Now, you may think to yourself, orderly? What do you mean orderly? Actually, I skipped one. It's eternal. (laughs) I skipped one. It's eternal. Look Look at the latter part of verse eight. Day and night, they never stop saying. So it's on and on and on. It's constant because the triune God is over all. And here's the other one. It is orderly. That might sound strange to say. It's not really strange. It shows you that there's no chaos. In fact, it's a little bit like clockwork. I don't want to say it's mechanical, but there's order there. Well, look in verse 9. It says, Whenever the living creatures give honor, I'm sorry, glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power for you created all things. By your will, they were created and have their being. It's almost choreographed, isn't it? Like, I'm gonna do this, and then the 24 hours elders are going to do that. Why? Why? Why is it important that you understand that that is so ordered? Does it mean we need to be a little more liturgical in our church services? Probably not. Here's what I think it means. In the chapters that are ahead, Jesus is going to show John a lot of chaos. There's going to be a lot of garbage going on in the chapters that are ahead. A lot of craziness from John's perspective going on. And John may begin to wonder, I don't know if if there's anybody in charge of this. Is this going to be okay? But think of this. (laughs) In the chapters ahead... When the seals of the scrolls are being opened, there's worship in an orderly faction happening in the throne room. And in the chapters ahead, when the seven trumpets are being blown, the trumpets of judgment, one after another, are being blown in the throne room of heaven, there is orderly worship going on. And while the bowls of wrath are being poured out on the un- unrepentant, bowl number one, bowl number two, bowl number three, all the way to seven, understand this, in heaven, the song remains the same. Holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. And nothing can rattle his worthiness. Nothing stops the worship. It is orderly, and it reminds me that I need not fear, for the triune God is over all. So take this, take this imagery with you. You need not fear. For the triune God is over all. And as we come to communion, in your mind, envision envision that God is on the throne. That means he's the ruler. He's sovereign. And when we say God is sovereign, we mean he's the boss. He calls the shots. No one else does. He can do whatever, whatever he has in mind to do. No one can force his hand. No one can manipulate him. No one can strong arm him. He is the king. And being on the throne means he's in charge and nothing can happen in your life or in eternity that he does not permit. And your life may be marked by chaos, but God is in control. And your family may be stress-filled, but God is in control. And your schedule might be as overstocked as big lots on back Black Friday, <laughs> but God is in control. And you need not fear. Because the triune God is over all. And beyond that, he's good. He's a good, good father. He shows honor to these 24 elders. He gives them thrones of their own. They didn't call him, he called them. He gives honor to them. He dresses them in white. He puts crowns on their heads. And if he honors those elders that way, he honors each of his children accordingly. I feel confident I'm not going to be sitting on one of those 24 thrones not going to happen but the scripture does say we will reign with him He is good God is not unjust he will not forget the work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help him help them that tells me I need not fear the triune God is over all and by the way God is powerful when you think of that power that was shown, the lightning, and think about what, what would you have used to show a first century man named John that God is powerful? An atomic bomb? He doesn't know an atomic bomb. M- maybe he would have used, you know, a hurricane? Uh, he didn't live in Florida. How about this? That SpaceX Falcon rocket. SpaceX Falcon. That's a really powerful thing. Let's show that to John. That wouldn't have meant anything to him. He shows him the thunder and lightning because he wants John to understand As powerful as the enemy may seem in your life, God is infinitely more powerful. His power knows no limits, and you need not fear, for the triune God is over all. (laughs) The triune God is on the throne. He always has been. He always will be. (laughs) We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Something occurred to me this week about the Lord's Supper that has never occurred to me before. I'm sure you've all thought of it before. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took cup. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, settled an argument with the apostles about who was the greatest. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, had them all going, Oh, is it me, Lord? Is it me? Who is it? Let me know who it is. Oh, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, what knew that in a matter of hours... He would be kissed by Judas. He would be arrested by soldiers. He would be tried in ungodly ways. He would be beaten. He would be crucified, dead, and in the ground. And yet, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, never lost his composure. I mean, through all that, there's never a time that you see Jesus being impatient, or Jesus being mean, or Jesus being distracted. He's perfectly composed even comfortable as he reclines at the table with the 12. How can he do that? Because he knows he is over all. God is on the throne. You need not fear. He is over all. When your life rests on God, you gain a deep sense of security and well-being that carries you through anything and everything even the end of the age. You need not fear. God is over all.